we would say good morning to you, and we greet you in the blessed name of Jesus. And my subject this morning is honor the king. And I'm not sure that there's any subject that you could have assigned to me that has generated more controversy and divisiveness than this particular subject in the past year and a half. However, the word of God does not change just because our circumstances change. Do you believe that this morning? And so the Word of God has something to say to us in relation to this situation or this mandate, this biblical mandate, that we are to honor the King. And I'm not going to, I probably will not define it necessarily in the context of honoring the King. But I would... I'll give a few, two foundational concepts out of our, the context of our passage here this, this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2, and then I would frame our discussion largely in two areas. <clears throat> One is, and it comes out of this context, it comes out of this passage as I understand this passage, the one is respect, the other is respectability. And how do we grapple with this thing of respect and respectability? So let's begin by reading our text. <clears throat> and I'm going to read the context from the beginning of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2 and beginning at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 17. Wherefore, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a live, excuse me, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is, be, is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul." 
having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they may speak against, excuse me, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And as a foundational concept, which this is, there's, there's nothing new about this. And yet it is imperative that the people of God keep this in their minds. And that is that we are of a different kingdom and we have a different calling. We are of a different kingdom and we have a different calling. And you know that. And I wonder how often that's been preached across this pulpit the past year and a half. The issue of the separation of the people of God from the people of the world and from the system of the world and the politics of the world. Verse 5, it says... Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. A different kingdom, a different calling. Ye are built up a spiritual house. That is the calling of the church of Jesus Christ and holy priesthood. And then in verse 9, that familiar verse, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. That is, our, that is where we are a part of. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, Our citizenship. Now, I know the King James does not say that. The King James says, Our conversation. The New King James says, Our citizenship is where? Where is our, our citizenship? Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we look with anticipation to the coming of our Lord. That is, that is where we, we are a part of that kingdom. Our, that is where our citizenship is. Yes. In technical terms, we are still citizens of the United States of America. And you could say there's a sense where we have dual citizenships and, and as citizens of the United States of America, we do have responsibilities and obligations here to this land. But nonetheless, first and foremost, we are citizens of another country, of another kingdom. Jesus said in John 17, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. 
And I would have you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they had came out, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. My friends this morning, do you readily and willingly confess that you are a stranger and a pilgrim here? Why? Because your citizen, your your primary citizenship is not here, it is in heaven. And you must function here as a stranger and a pilgrim. And my dear friends, if we are going to have clarity in the subject before us, we must understand and embrace as the saints of old did, that this is not our country. And we are citizens of a heavenly country. Secondly, as a foundational concept, is we have a primary purpose as the people of God. And what is your primary purpose? What's your primary purpose? Note the two verses that I referenced, verses 5 and verses 9. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. How many of you have sacrificed already this morning? Have you offered any sacrifices this morning? What, What is your calling? What is your purpose? What is your goal in life? The scripture says that our purpose and our goal in life should be to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And what does he say in verse 9? He says, That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What What is our purpose? What is our goal? Our goal is to exalt and glorify the King of Kings, And the Lord of Lords. That's why we're here. That's why we've been called into this this heavenly citizenship. We have a purpose. We have a reason for being here. And we could turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm not going to take the time to do that.
This past year and a half, we have, say, we have faced a situation that has impacted every one of us to a greater or lesser degree. And I may suggest that probably it's impacted your leaders most of all. We face a situation we've never faced before. And we easily, because of the impact of what we faced the last year and a half, we easily get bent out of shape because there's been change. And there are differing opinions about how we should, how we should have and how we should respond to the situation we face. I mean, is that, is that true of you all here? We don't, we don't all come out at the same place. That is, that is quite obvious in my, from my perspective. And yet, as we consider what we should do and how we should respond, may we remember that our citizenship is not here and that our first purpose is ultimately to glorify God. It's not about us. As inconvenient as it may be, it's not about us. Moving more directly then to the subject of honoring the king. And I've already suggested that I will frame this in the context of respect and respectability. And this may, this may surprise you, but I'm not going to make a, a huge distinction between the word honor and respect. Because respect is the word that we would more readily use today in our conversations than we would the word honor. And therefore, I use the word respect. But I would begin by asking you a simple question. What is the biblical criteria for respect? What is the biblical criteria? Maybe I, should, maybe I should say it this way. What is the biblical criteria for godly respect? Do you know? Now, <laughs> you need not answer that. Let me ask you this. Is the biblical criteria for godly respect respectability? Are you sure about that? <laughs> Is the biblical criteria for godly respect respectability? 
Is the biblical criteria for respect reasonableness? Is the biblical criteria for respect position? By the way, do you know the answer to that question? It's no. You, you, I mean, look at our text, my friends. Look at our text. He says, honor all men or respect all men, not only those that are in position. And obviously, he references in saying honor the king. He's talking about honoring those that do have position. And I could ask, Is the biblical criteria for respect gravitas? How many of you know what gravitas is? <laughs> that's, that's a word that comes out of politics. Okay. It comes, um, it means someone that has, oh, I, I'm not even sure without looking it up how to describe it to you. It, gravitas Gravitas is the word that was used of a former vice president. How many of you know who it was? You see, maybe I pay too much attention to politics. <laughs> it was used of Dick Cheney. He, into the Bush-Cheney... Um, candidacy, Dick Cheney brought some what they call gravitas, or he was one that was, I mean, he was just, he was just kind of this character that stood there and was firm and represented something, and so he, there, there's a sense it would be similar to the word respectability. It was something about his character, the way he conducted himself, and they called it gravitas, which is, what is that? Is that a Latin word, possibly, probably? But the list could go on and on. The question is, what is the biblical, what is the biblical criteria for respect? And it's not respectability, it's not reasonableness, it's not position, and it's not gravitas, and the list could go on and on and on. That's not the criteria for biblical respect. And my friends, is it possible that part of our problem is that we do not understand what the biblical, what the biblical criteria for respect is? How many of you have ever heard the phrase, uh, you have to earn, or an individual must earn the people's respect? Have you ever heard that? How many of you believe that's a biblical concept? That is not a biblical concept. Amen. That's not a biblical concept. It is not an issue that they earn our respect, and therefore we respect them. How many of you know who most likely... Peter was referring to when he said, honor the king. Or his 
readers who they thought about when they first read Honor the King. Who did they think of? Nero. And was Nero a respectable man? Was he reasonable? No. He was the furthest thing from being reasonable and respectable. But nonetheless, the Apostle Peter said, you respect him nonetheless. And so, my friends, the criteria for godly, biblical respect has nothing to do with the people that we are to respect and has everything to do with who we are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? You respect people, and I would say all people, because it says, honor all men, honor the king, and particularly those that are in position of authority. My friends, you honor them because of who you are in Christ, and what God has asked you to do, not because of the respectability of the individual that you are to respect. How many of you have struggled with respect in the last year and a half? May I suggest something to you? Our struggle with respect says more about us and where we are at spiritually than it does about the individual that we struggle with respecting. Do you believe that? You see, this is something that comes out of who we are in Christ Jesus. And perhaps I would illustrate it this way. How many of you believe that God loves you? Do you, believe, do you believe God loves you? How many of you believe that God loved you because you were lovely? Did God love you because you were lovely? What does the scripture say? We were aliens and enemies of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, God loved us not because of who we were, but he loved us because of his own character. Because God is love. It was born out of who God is. It is born out of who God is, not who we are. And the same, the same concept is true with the issue of respect. My friends, we are called to respect and by, may God's people rise to that challenge and respect regardless of how despicable on an earthly level we may think the individual actually is. Maybe that's not a very kind way to term it. But my friends, we respect 
because of who we are and the work of God in our lives, not because of the respectability of the other individual. Okay, then what about respectability? I said I'd frame this discussion in the, on the, in the context of respect and respectability. And I just said that respectability is not the criteria, is not the biblical criteria for respecting. And yet, my friends, to the people of God, respectability is imperative. In other words, respectability, when we frame it in the context of our lives, then it becomes an imperative. Note what uh, Peter said, verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves unto every ordinance of men, for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto, the, unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. How many of you believe that God has called you to be respectable individuals? Now, I understand you could pick apart this term or the word respectability. I believe the New King James says, having your conversation honorable among the Gentiles. Having your conversation, the King James says honest. The New King James says honorable. Do you know what that word honorable means? It is good, admirable, becoming. And it also has an ethical connotation to it, being fair, right, honorable, of such conduct as deserves esteem. My friends this morning, I'm not sure that I can overemphasize the importance of respecting and respectability for the people of God, particularly in our day. You are to live lives that are above reproach, that are honorable before in the community that you live in and before the people that you meet. And so what does that look like? I would caution us, and I almost had to smile at the title of Tuesday evening's subject next week. Um, may I say this to us? Be careful of your political involvements. Now, I, without doubt, I pay attention to what's going on in our world. 
to a greater or lesser degree, I, it's not that I am ignorant of what's happening in our society. I pay attention. Um, I maybe don't pay as, a, as much attention today as I did at one time, um, but I still, I still pay attention. But the thing that I would, I would challenge us, remember the issue of respect and respectability. And so when you talk among yourselves or to others about the politics of our day, what is it that comes out of your mouth? Are they words of respect? And is your, is your attitude respectable? But I could ask you this morning, how many of you have said something negative about someone in authority, be it uh, the local health department or anyone else, over the past year and a half? Remember respect and respectability. And what, when you discuss politics outside of your own circles, what do the people hear you? And I understand. I understand something about a conservative people desiring a conservative government. I understand that. But brethren and sisters, may we also understand that all politics is part of the world system. It is not part of our heavenly citizenship. And we must remember that even in our discussions. And my friends, we must always show respect for civil authority and civil servants. I don't know I don't know how many dairy farmers we have here other than one, but uh, <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever have issues with the inspector? I, the inspectors are probably the one civil entity that I grapple, no, I shouldn't say I grapple with the most, but that I interact with the most. And it's, it's, it's interesting, it's just interesting you know, finding our way through the whole maze of inspectors. Because there's one thing that I have learned over the years. It's not so much what the code says, but what the inspector calls. And I don't, I just don't, it's not like I, I read, I read the code book so I know what it says. I know basically what's required of us. And I also have learned what one inspector may call, another inspector may not. And I have to, somehow you have to work your way through that maze. But the one thing I would impress upon us, that as you relate particularly to civil authority and civil servants, be careful how you respond to them. By and large, we have a good relationship with our inspectors. Um, and, that's, and that's been the case over the years. And yet, there are still times when, in fact, we had, we had a situation this past summer that the one inspector called something that no inspector in the past had ever called. In all my experience, in my occupation, 
No inspector had ever called. But all I need to know is that this is what he would like to see, and it's no big deal. I just do it. And my friends, as you relate in the community, always, always treat people honestly and with good measure. Does it matter if the one buying from you goes away with a little more and you remain with a little less? Does that matter? And that individual goes away feeling good about what just transpired, the transaction that just transpired. That is living a life that is honest and honorable before our people. Comply and submit in the areas that you can comply and submit. And we should never never be known as activists or resistors. Do you, do you understand that? And one of the reasons I emphasize this, brethren and sisters, we have been through a period of testing, but I suspect the real test is yet to come. And the one thing that is going to Stay God's people in good stead is whether or not their history, their past, has been marked by respect and respectability. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure that we under, we fully understand that dynamic. The time is likely going to come. And I'm not suggesting that it hasn't come in the past, but the time will likely come when there's going to be a clear-cut line and we will say we cannot and we will not obey the mandates of the civil government because we have a higher allegiance to a higher authority. And we understand that concept. But the thing I would impress upon us, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters, it is imperative that today we live, we show respect and we live respectable lives. How many of you believe that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to answer the king and say, no, it doesn't matter. You can give us a second chance, but you don't need to give us a second chance because we've already decided that our allegiance is to God Almighty. How many of you believe that that answer was an answer of respect for the position of the king? And the king knew that. In spite of his fury and in spite of his rage for someone going against what he had ordered, I believe they answered him in a respectable way. And they had lives of respectability that backed up their statement that day. There are the history of the church is replete with examples like that. And our Anabaptist forebears are no exception. Zwingli said of the early Anabaptists, if you investigate their life and conduct, now these are they're detractors, okay? These are not their friends. All of these statements, 
This is Zwingli. If you investigate their life and conduct, it seems at first, at first contact, irreproachable, pious, unassuming, attractive, yea, above this world. Even those who are inclined to be critical will say that their lives are excellent. And my friends, would to God that would be said today of their children, their descendants. Bollinger wrote, those who unite with them will, be, will by their ministers be received into their church by rebaptism and repentance and newness of life. They henceforth lead lives under a semblance of quite spiritual conduct. They denounce covetousness, pride, profanity, and lewd conversation and immorality of the world, drinking and gluttony. In short, their hypocrisy is great and manifold. Is that the way it was? Or was it genuine? Was it genuine respectability on the case of the Anabaptists? Capital wrote, I frankly confess that in most Anabaptists, and that's in brackets, there is evidence of piety and consecration, indeed a zeal which is beyond any suspicion in, of insincerity. For what earthly advantage could they hope to win by enduring exile, torture, and unspeakable punishment of the flesh? I testify before God that I cannot say that on account of lack of wisdom, they are somewhat indifferent toward, toward earthly things, but rather from divine motives. Um, and also, this is a Catholic writer said, among the existing heretical sects, there is none which, is, which in appearance leads a more modest and pious life than the Anabaptist. As concerns their outward public life, they are irreproachable. No lying, no deception, swearing, strife, harsh language, no intemperate eating or drinking, no outward personal display is found among them but humility, patience, uprightness, neatness, honesty, temperance, straightforwardness, in such measure that one would suppose that they had the Spirit of God. And how many of you think that they did? My friends, the Scripture calls us to respect and to be respectable. God help you as you work through the maze we currently face.